It's because he was getting poor grades and he was ashamed and he was afraid to face his father. So he thought, I'll just go hide. And he did. He disappeared from the face of the earth for four years. No one knew where he was. That's a bizarre reaction to us. His grades, by the way, were C minus grades. He was passing. It was just that he was passing barely. And we sound, we, we think to ourselves, that is foolish. Who in the world goes into an attic for four years because of a C minus? And he hid himself from that. But here's, here's the truth. There are people all over this world that are hiding themselves, they think, from God on their actions. And they think, well, if I just don't, if I don't face him, then I don't have to answer for my life. And they're living pretty much the same way Chen Wan Lim did, saying, I'm just going to hide from it. We're going to come to a passage of scripture today that rebuts that kind of thinking. We're coming to Revelation chapter 20, the last five verses, verses 11 through 15. And we're talking about that terrible day when every unsaved person who has ever lived on planet Earth is going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And there will be nowhere to hide on that day. The Bible's pretty explicit about this particular judgment. It is the final judgment recorded in the Bible for all eternity. Once you go past the end of Revelation chapter 20, there is no more judgment. This is the last one. But I would tell you, and you already know it if you're familiar with the scripture, it's terrible. It is absolutely terrible because every person there is going to be declared personally responsible for their sins. And then they are going to be justly sentenced. And the sentence is is just unimaginable. We talk about hell and we talk about the lake of fire and we talk about eternal destruction. I just don't think our little peon brains can fathom what that's like. So I want you to to keep in mind when you read the last five verses of Revelation chapter 20 with me this morning, the awfulness doesn't really hit us here. We have to think about this for a long time. So I'd like to look at these, uh, these events that are going on here. It's come to be called the Great White Throne Judgment. And I'll say again that not one born-again Christian will be at this judgment. This judgment is only for those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And there will be billions of people there. Revelation chapter 20, would you look at verse number 11? And I saw a great white throne... And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death And hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life 
was cast into the lake of fire. Would you note that last verse? And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We're going to look this morning at eternity's final judgment. And I'm praying to God that none of you are going to be there. I pray that every person in this room this morning or joining us by way of live stream, I pray you know for certain that you're saved. It's not that you're in church. I can bring a dog into church. That's like saying I'm a car because I stand in a garage. It doesn't make any sense. I was raised in church. My dad was a preacher. My grandfather was a deacon. None of those things will matter at this particular judgment. There's only one thing that will matter, and that's if you know for absolutely sure that Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, that you have made a conscious decision, that sometime you may not remember the date, you may not remember the person you prayed with, if you prayed with anyone, you may not remember the details, but you do remember asking God to save you and forgive your sins and to cleanse you from unrighteousness and take you to heaven when you die. That's the determining factor as to whether or not you're at this particular judgment. You may be a very nice person. I know some Christians that are downright mean. But they're not going to be at this judgment. And I know some very nice people that will tell you they're not Christians. And they are going to be here. So I would ask you this morning to do something that Peter tells us to do in one of his epistles. Peter says this, make your calling and election sure. Would you do this this morning? Would you, in the privacy of your own heart, would you be sure you're saved today? Dr. Manley taught us this morning, we're we're coming uh, to about a little past halfway in the book of Jude. And we were talking this morning about the second coming of Christ. Jesus is coming and your opportunity to be saved will one day end. And the thing is, he could, he could come at any time. And your opportunity to be saved, well, today might be the last one. And so, Pastor, you're just trying to scare me. If I could, I would. Jude 22, 23 says, some save with fear. And if I can make If I can say something from God's word and make you afraid this morning of going to hell, God will use that to draw you to himself. That's fine. But be sure you're a Christian. It's not worth hoping it. I'm pretty sure. I don't want to pillow my head at night on a pretty sure salvation. I want to know. And this morning I'm asking you, be sure you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. This is this morning eternity's final judgment that we're talking about. Every person here stands condemned before the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'd like to look at this, this for the next few minutes and, and, and talk about the facts of what the Bible says about this great white throne judgment. Let's ask God to bless our time together and to have our attention. I hope I have your attention now. Um, and let's give our attention to God for the next half hour or so. And then we'll let the rest of the cares of the world come in. All right? Father, thank you for gathering this particular crowd to this building this morning. No one is here by accident. We might like to think it's by chance or by luck. But, Lord, you're in control. 
And you've brought every person, including myself, into the sound of this message and this passage this morning for a purpose. Some, it may be to remind them of their their desperate need for a Savior, and they need to be saved today. They need to seek forgiveness for their sins and repent before you. For others who may be saved, it may be to spur them on to being a better, more outspoken witness for Christ, sharing the gospel with people who still stand guilty before you. Whatever your purpose is in my heart today through this message or the hearts of those who are hearing it, I pray that we would cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit. Remind us of the terribleness of this judgment. And Lord, fill us with joy because we have we've found a way of escape through the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in your name. Amen. Let's begin there at verse number 11. Can we first? I'd like you to notice the judge and the great white throne. The judge and the great white throne. Verse number 11 says, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. The first thing I'd like you to see there is the picture that's in this throne, because there are two adjectives used to describe this throne judgment, and they are great and white. Great refers to the court's power. There is no court to which you can appeal from this court. You go to a local court today and you get a decision you don't like, you can make an appeal. And you can make your appeal eventually, I guess. I don't know how that process in detail works. You can go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. But once you go to the U.S. Supreme Court, there are no more appeals. Their decision's final. This, this great white throne, that word refers to the power of this court. It is the highest court ever and anywhere. There is no appeal here. Judgment rendered from this court can't be appealed because there's no greater power. Jesus said, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth, and Jesus is sitting here as judge. So it's great because of its power. It's white because of its purity. Let's say that you and I run into some type of uh, contention with the law, and we end up making our appeals, and we get all the way to the Supreme Court. In our nation, there's no higher court to which we can appeal, but you're still dealing with nine men and women who have a sinful nature, and they can make a wrong judgment, and they have in the past. But this court is free from any taint of sin, any any fallibility, and so the judgments from this court, not only are they powerful and they can't be appealed, but they are perfectly just and righteous. Whatever this judge is going to hand out in judgment at this court, it's pure. There's no taint of sin here. No one can cry, well, I got an unfair trial. He's a perfect judge. He's a righteous judge. It's called the great white throne judgment. And every sinner judged and sentenced at this court is going to know that they have been judged righteously. I haven't, uh, I started to say I haven't yet as if I'm making plans. I haven't had an occasion to stand before a judge where I was going to be sentenced for something. But I know people have gone, they've gone through the system before and they have been convicted and they've been sentenced and the whole time they were crying, I'm not guilty. No one will cry that at this court because every person there will know they have been righteously and justly 
judged, convicted, and sentenced. It is the great white throne. The second thing is not just the picture in this throne, but then it talks in verse number 11, right? It talks about the person on on the throne. It says, I saw him that sat on it. This throne is occupied by a capital P person. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you look at that verse and you say, well, pastor, how do you know that's Jesus Christ? Well, here his identity is not revealed, but it is revealed elsewhere in scripture. We don't have time to turn there, but may I read for you this morning, John chapter five, verse 22, where Jesus says, for the father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the son. Jesus is the judge here. Second Timothy chapter four and verse number one refers to the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. The quick are the saved, the dead are the lost. Jesus Christ is going to judgment, uh, judge them. This is no lowly Nazarene sitting on this throne. This isn't the carpenter's son. This isn't the one that the Jews accused of coming from an illegitimate relationship between Joseph and Mary. This is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, sitting on this throne who has been rightly placed there by the Father. Listen to how Daniel describes this judge. Daniel, if you want to read this, Daniel chapter 7, I'm just reading verses 9 and 10. And I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days did sit whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued forth and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him, and the judgment was set, and the books were opened." That sounds like an intimidating person sitting on this throne. The throne itself sounds intimidating to me. It reeks of power and authority and righteousness. His presence, and I'm not using this in a disrespectful way, but this man sitting on the throne, his presence is so terrible that the Bible says in verse number 11, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. What does that mean? No one is able to stand before him. Creation itself has the sense to bow down before this one on the throne. They fled away. Why can't mankind do that today? Why does mankind stand all over our world, stand with his fist clenched and shakes it in the face of the one who created him and the one who will one day judge him? But when they do stand before him, they'll understand exactly who he is. He's the one sitting on this throne. There's the picture in the throne. It's great white throne. There's the person on the throne. It's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And then there's the perception of this throne. What do I mean by that, the perception? I mean this. What is it that the person sitting on this throne can see? What what does he know? Look at the end of verse number 11. And there was found no place for them. That that little phrase, what, what is that telling us? That's telling us this. There's no place to hide. It says, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. 
but there's no place to hide. There was no place for them. The perception on this throne is that he sees it all. Do you remember what the prophet said in the Old Testament? If I, if I ascend down into hell, behold, thou art there. If I try to hide in the darkness of night, you're there. The day is like, or the night is like the day to you. There's no place to hide. The perception of this throne, which, which if you were going into court and wanting a fair trial, you would want this, wouldn't you? You'd want the judge to know everything that could be known about your case in order to make the right judgment. Well, the problem is, at this judgment, he knows every sin of which they're guilty, and he knows that every one of them have rejected him as Savior. There, is found, there, there was found no place for them. There's no place to hide. And I, I would tell you this today, unlike David Lim, who thought he could just go hide for the rest of his life in that attic, you might think you're hiding your sin today. You might be a Christian here with some ongoing sin in your life and thinking you're hiding it. I'm telling you, you're not. From me or from those sitting nearby you, yeah, maybe. But not from this one. The perception of the person sitting on the great white throne is that he sees everything there is to see and he knows all of the facts concerning the judgment that he's about to make. He knows everything. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse number 14. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Every secret thing. My mom used to say when we were little kids, and we were in, Matt and I would be in, and probably our other ones too, it's just Matt and I seemed to be wherever the mischief was. Mom would say all the time, be sure your sin will find you out. She'd say that all the time. I don't know how old I was when I found out that was a scripture verse. I thought that was just my mom's wisdom. But it's true. God sees everything there is to see. Some think they're getting away with their sin, but they're not. Some sitting in power have the attitude they can do whatever they want because of the power they have. They're wrong. God's watching. God is keeping good records. In fact, we're going to get to those records in just a moment. Psalm 44.21 says, Shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. God knows these things. Nobody hides from this righteous judge. There is the judge... And this great white throne. It's an imposing sight. If you're feeling this morning, boy, this is serious. Good. This is serious. Not just the judge, but I'd like you to see in verses 12 and 13, the justice and the great white throne. The justice and the great white throne. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. Justice at this great white throne. First are the defendants here. The defendants at the throne. It's a courtroom. This is a seat of judgment. And there are those who stand accused. They are the defendants here. And the Bible calls them in verse number 12. Did you notice that? The Bible just calls them the dead. Did you catch that? That that little two-word phrase is, is fairly significant. 
Because that two-word phrase is telling you there are no Christians here because the Christians are never referred to as simply the dead. They're called the dead in Christ. Or they're described as those which sleep in Jesus. But they're never called the dead. In another passage of scripture, they're called the quick or the living. The Bible says in John chapter 5 and verse 24 that those who trust Jesus Christ as Savior have passed from death unto life. So here we have the defendants and they're called the dead. And then it goes on in detail to let us know that every person at this throne is spiritually dead. That means they have no relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's every person who has ever lived that is unsaved. So let's go all the way back to the book of Genesis and find the very first person that failed to put their trust in the true God. And that person and every person like him since is at this judgment. Every lost person who has ever lived are here. Their dead bodies have been called from the ground or from the sea, wherever they're at. And their dead souls have been retrieved from hell now to stand before God at this judgment. They're standing here before the one who sees and knows everything. These are those who died unsaved or who go into eternity unsaved. Every lost person in the world's history is at this judgment. And the Bible, the Bible makes no distinction between them, does it? It says the dead, then what does it say? Small and great. I have, uh, have you ever Googled yourself? You'll find out how insignificant you are in the world if you Google yourself. I I just, I'm really not all that important in the world. Outside of our little church here and my, my big family, there probably aren't a whole lot of people that know me. Not comparatively. If I say the name today, Gates, who do you think of right away? Bill Gates. Everybody knows Bill Gates. If I say Mickey, you'll say Mickey Mouse is more known than I am. I don't, and he doesn't even exist. That's amazing, isn't it? But at this throne, it doesn't matter if you're known well or not known at all because it's the dead, small and great. It's those who are not known by anyone and it's those who are known by everyone. If I say the name Hitler, he's going to be there. If I say the name Stalin, he's going to be there. If I say the name Billy Bob, He's going to be there. It doesn't matter. It says the dead, small and great, stand before God. Every lost person in the world's history is going to be there. Money, fame, influence, ability, none of those things get you out of this appointment. It doesn't matter. You see great athleticism. We didn't see much of it last night. 
But you see great athleticism displayed. You talk about people who have great wealth in this world. Unimaginable wealth. None of that matters, you see. The dead, small and great, stand here. Kings, beggars. Remember Luke chapter 16? The rich man and Lazarus. They both died. They, They both became corpses. Didn't matter how much money or how little money. They both died. All faced the righteous judge in judgment. In verse 13, it it talks about the sea gave up the dead, which were in it, death and hell. Here's the point of verse 13. Regardless of where they died or how they died, every person who's ever died without Christ is at this throne. Now I want you to ask yourself before we move on, are you going to be here? Examine yourself. Make your calling and election sure. Are you going to be here? Because every person who dies without Christ is at this judgment. So there, there are the defendants here at the throne, the dead who are not saved. Then, verse 12, the middle, verse number 12, it talks about the documents at the throne. The documents at the throne. It mentions these books. It says, and the books, plural, were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. So there are multiple books opened at this judgment, and only one of them here is is named. It's the book of life. We don't know from this passage of scripture what the other books are, but there are hints throughout the New Testament that tell us what they might be. First of all, I believe the Bible is going to be opened at this judgment. The Bible, the word of God. Jesus said in John 12, 48, the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. They're going to be judged here by the Bible. I think that's a pretty good standard by which to judge because you hold in your hand the very word of God. It's perfect. And the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, Psalm 19 says, and that's talking about the Bible. So the Bible's going to be open that day. The book that people mock today and reject and they throw out as out of date or old-fashioned, that book is going to be the standard by which they're judged. Then there's another book. We'll call it the book of works. That book is described at the end of verse number 12. The end of verse 12 says that they're going to be judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. It's not the only place that talks about that particular idea, but I think there is a book being kept that records every sin we've committed. The Bible is going to, they're going to be judged by their works and apparently out of a book. It's the book of works. A record is apparently being kept of all of the deeds of mankind. And on this day, every lost person will hear their charges read against them, read out of this book of works, judged according to their works. It's in evidence. This is the basis. I've used this, and I know Dr. Manley has referred to it. Uh, John Phillips has this phrase that he uses when he's talking about people coming to Christ and being saved. He says this, He said, you don't want a fair trial. What you want is a free pardon. The reason you don't want a fair trial is this book. 
It's evidenced against you and it's evidence against me. It shows the fact of my sin. In fact, because it says their works, the indication is it shows every one of my sins. And it's on record. And God is the bookkeeper, so we know it's perfect. It's the book of works that's being opened. Then there's the third book that I believe is going to be there. In fact, it's named, it's called the book of life. In the scripture, I think there are two books of life. One is called simply this, and it's right here, the book of life. But then there's also the Lamb's book of life. First of all, let's look at this book of life. Every person that lives on the earth has their name written in the book of life. You can jot down Revelation 3, 5, Revelation chapter 17, verse 8. When a person dies without Christ, their name is removed from this book. The King James Bible says their name is blotted out of the book of life. When that person dies unsaved, there's a record that they lived. But when they die without Christ, their name is blotted out of the book of life. Dying without Christ, there's no more opportunity for you to be saved. So your name is blotted out of the book of life. So there's the Bible, there's the book of works, there's the book of life, and then there is in Revelation twenty-one twenty-seven a book entitled the Lamb's Book of Life. The Lamb's Book of Life. And when a person does get saved, their name is added to this book and it can never be blotted out. They have been given eternal life. When the great white throne judgment occurs and these books are all opened, the books are going to match perfectly. They'll open up the book of works and there are that person's sins. They'll open up the book of life and his or her name will not be found there. And they'll open up the Lamb's book of life and his or her name will not be found there. The books are going to be open. The condemned at the lamb at the, the great white throne judgment, the condemned are going to be proven guilty twice. One, in that their name is not in the book of life, and two, that their name is not in the Lamb's book of life. They died without Christ. They never accepted him. I'm saying all that to come back to this thought. Be sure you're saved. Know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Know that your name will not be blotted out of the book of life. Know that regardless of what is written in the book of works under your name, it doesn't matter because those things have been blotted out by the blood of Jesus Christ. There is a record kept of my sin. But the day, January 19th, 1977, when I asked Jesus Christ to save me, all of those sins were suddenly blotted out. They were done away with by the blood of Jesus Christ. Be sure you're saved. There's the defendants at the throne. They're all condemned. The documents at the throne are the evidence against them. And then there is the decision that's made at the throne. And that's at the end of verse number 13. And this is, this is what it says. They were judged. There's a decision that's going to be made here. 
They were judged. Whatever excuse you have today for not being saved. Let's think of some. Let's think of some excuses. Well, I, I'm a pretty good person. Let's, let's just put that excuse right here. I've never really committed any of the, the major sins. Let's put that excuse right there. People, people think I'm already saved. Let's, let's put that excuse right there. I, I don't want to be embarrassed, so people already think I'm saved. So let's put that excuse right there. I don't, I don't know what excuse you might have today for not accepting Jesus Christ as Savior. And there are more excuses, I'm sure. But none of them will matter on this day. You see, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you think you're a good person. The book of works is going to be open to refute that. It doesn't matter if you haven't committed any of the major sins, whatever those might be, because the book of works are going to show that you're guilty of every sin because Jesus said if you've broken one commandment, you've broken them all. And I know it might be a little awkward if you've been a professing Christian all your life, but you're not sure if you're saved or, you've, or people have assumed you're saved, but you know you're not. I know that might be a little awkward or something, but can you imagine the cost you're going to pay for that today? To be, to be worried about what people think today, can you imagine the cost you're going to pay when you stand before Christ? Whatever the excuse you have for not being saved will be worthless if you're at this judgment. So be sure you're saved. You don't want to stand here on your own merit. I don't want to stand there on my own merit. When I, when I go to heaven, it will only be because I'm there because of the righteousness of Christ that has been credited to my account. My account is worthless on my own. It's kind of like my checking account. There's not a whole lot to work with there. And you and I getting into heaven has nothing to do with our worth. It has everything to do with our dependence on Christ. Come to Christ today and be saved. There's a judgment that's coming at this There's a decision that's coming to this judgment. They're going to be judged, and they're going to be judged by their works. In verses 14 and 15, finally, I'd like you to see this. Not just the judge and the justice. I'd like you to see the judgment and the great white throne. And that's the last two verses of chapter 20. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's describing the second death. What's the first death? Physical death. These people, most all these people here have died physically. It's the world's history of unsaved people. But this is the second death. First, their soul and their spirit was separated from their body at physical death. Now they are going to be eternally separated from God in the second death. This is the judgment that's coming here. It's a terrible judgment, isn't it? I know that there have been artists that have tried to draw pictures of the lake of fire. And they try to depict that. I just can't imagine what that looks like. I and you have probably seen 
uh, an airplane crash that takes place on water and the fuel or oil or something is burning on top of the water. I don't even think that that doesn't really depict the lake of fire. Because the Bible says where this is occurring is it's utter darkness. And when we see fire today, our fire gives off light. I mean, when a house is on fire, it gives off light. But hell is, hell is pitch black. What kind of judgment is this? There's a couple things. First, I want you to see, first of all, it's a fearful judgment. The sentence rendered from this bench is death. Second death, not physical. The second death is spiritual death, eternal separation from God in a lake of fire. Would you, if you're a note taker, jot down 2 Thessalonians 1 verses 9 and 10. This death that's being sentenced here involves dying without dying. My, I think I told you before, my pastor in Michigan when I was, when I was in college, his name was Dan Broadus, he described hell as a place where you're always dying, never dead. Always burning to death, but never achieving death. It is a fearful judgment. This is torment on, on an unimaginable level. When you, you, you might be able to quote Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. This is what it's talking about. It's not talking about physical death. Romans 6.23 is pointing you to Revelation chapter 20 verses 14 and 15. The wages of sin is being cast into an eternal lake of fire. The horror of hearing Jesus say in Matthew 25 verse 41, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. What a terrible sentence that these people are facing. Judas Iscariot, sentenced to hell. Adolf Hitler, sentenced to hell. Put the name in. It is a fearful judgment. I think the only thing that could be worse. Are you listening? What what could possibly be worse than being sentenced to hell? I think the only thing that could be worse is if you think you're going to heaven and you end up at this judgment. That's the scene that is described in Matthew chapter number 7 where Jesus listens to people say at this judgment, Lord, we've done many wonderful works in your name. And in the end, he says, I never knew you. Depart from me. That's this judgment. People thinking they're going to heaven and they end up at the great white throne judgment. If you're a believer here today in Christ, you're thinking to yourself, I know I'm going to be judged one day. I'm going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. How terrible to die and be surprised that you're on your, you're on your way to the great white throne judgment eventually. It's a fearful judgment. Be sure you're saved. The last thing is it's a final judgment. No appeals. I mentioned this to you a moment ago. It's a final judgment in that there are no appeals here. All the judgments rendered and all of the sentences that are, that are passed out, all of them are final and they are binding. 
Listen to Psalm chapter 9 and verse 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forgot God. There's a cost here and it's final. I said a moment ago, all of the people that left this judgment, all the people that go away to hell from this judgment will know they have been justly condemned. One of the things that scripture, I think, supports that idea is the rich man in Luke 16. He never asks to be delivered from hell. He knows he's there rightly. It is a final judgment. This will be, at the great white throne judgment, this will be the last light these people ever see. They are cast into a place that is not only described as a lake of fire, but it's described as a place of utter darkness, burning, but black, full of flames, yet devoid of all light. This will be the last time they're in the light. That's why it makes no sense for people to say, I'm going to go to hell. That's where my friends are going. What will it matter? The torment is beyond imagination, and the blackness is deeper than we can create here on the earth. It's utter darkness. Many deny hell's reality. Have you ever heard that before? People deny that hell is a place. Have you ever heard them try to spiritualize it? Well, hell is actually a state of mind. Or I don't believe that a loving God would send people to hell. You talk about hell and you talk about the lake of fire, Pastor. That's really out of date. You ought to read more and learn what God really has to say about this. May I tell you what God has to say about this? Everything in Scripture points to a literal, physical, eternal lake of fire. I can't describe it adequately. I know that. But everything in scripture tells me this is a literal place. I think Revelation 20 verses 11 through, uh, verses 11 through 15 may be the most horrible scene in scripture. Listen, there's absolutely no hope here. There, there's no hope in these five verses for those people that are here. People perishing eternally. I I get goosebumps thinking about that. How can you fathom hell? I'd like to close close today with a a rather long quote by Dr. Charles Ryrie. He's one of my favorite theologians because he's a literal interpretationist of the Bible. And he wrote a great book of theology. Every Christian ought to have this book. It's called Basic Theology. And it breaks down the major doctrines of Christianity onto a layman, a layman type level, a, a cookie jar level uh, uh, of understanding. I love that book. He takes complicated doctrines and makes it to where I can understand. Dr. Ryrie said this in his book of Basic Theology concerning the great white throne judgment. This judgment will not separate believers from unbelievers for all who will experience it have made the choice during their lifetimes to reject God. The book of life which will be opened at the great white throne judgment will not contain the name of anyone who will be in that judgment. The books of works which will also be opened will prove that all who are being judged deserve eternal condemnation. It is not that all their works were evil 
but all were dead works done by spiritually dead people. It is as if the judge will say, I will show you by the record of your own deeds that you deserve condemnation. So everyone who will appear in this judgment will be cast into the lake of fire forever. I'm I'm saying this again this morning, not just to take up time, but if you have never been saved today, while grace is still available to you, today is the day to be saved. You don't know when your opportunity will pass for this. You can't know. My wife's mom went into the nursing home about three or four weeks ago, about three and a half weeks ago. Her brother Paul and I were talking on the phone one day, and Paul said, I don't know how long mom will last in the hospital. Um, You know, we're hoping she makes it till Christmas. Nine days after she was admitted into that nursing home, she went home to be with the Lord. You don't know. I don't know when we're going to go into eternity. You don't know when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to rapture his church. Pastor, I don't believe in the rapture. Doesn't matter. He's going to rapture his church. He's going to snatch every born-again believer off of the face of this earth one day. Instantaneously, they will be gone. And millions of people will just disappear. And everyone on earth is going to be left scratching their heads. You may not believe in that, but that's not going to change the fact that Jesus is coming. He's going to rapture his church. Pastor, I just don't believe that there is such a terrible judgment like this. I wish I could pick and choose what I believe from the scripture. But we don't get to. Somebody, in fact, a bunch of somebody's in my feed on Facebook this last week, they put, uh, they put a thing up on Facebook and it said, Do you know what God left out of the Bible? Your opinion. You know what God's left out of the Bible? My opinion. But he has given us truth. And he's given us, he's given us a way of escape. As terrible as this judgment is, if you can hear my voice this morning, you can skip this judgment. Come to Christ today. Let Jesus save you today. I don't care if people think, I don't care if people think you've been saved for a long time. I was at a church we went to a church for, for quite a while. We went to a church down in Jacksonville, Florida for a, a pastor's conference. A wonderful music ministry. Probably 200 people. Doc, would you say 200 people in the choir and 100 in the orchestra. And man, when they turned loose, it was like heaven on earth. The new songs you read about in the book of Revelation, it was incredible, the music in that place. You just felt like this is, this is heaven is going to be full of southern gospel music. That's what you thought. When that choir and orchestra just took off, Dr. Homer Lindsay was preaching one Sunday morning, and the man who'd been leading that wonderful choir and orchestra for over 10 years walked down the aisle and accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. You need to know you're saved. One day the grace ends, and judgment is all that left. Come to Christ. God's grace is free to you. If you don't know him, be saved. If you do know him, 
Ask God to remind you often of this judgment and to to motivate you to share the gospel with people. It's the only reason you're left here. Let people know how to miss hell and gain heaven, Christians. Tell them the truth. Would you stand with your heads bowed this morning? Father, I thank you for your word and thank you for its plainness. And I can't, I can't think, God, of anything else you could have told us in the word about how we can be saved. You said if we would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, if we would confess our sins, if we would trust in him and not ourselves, that you would save us. You said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That we would pass from death to life. That you won't hold us accountable for our sins, but you will blot them out with the blood of your son. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as Savior, they would come to Christ today. Help them not to be at this terrible judgment. I pray for Christians who have been, they've been poor stewards of the gospel. Their lives don't reflect Christ like they should. And their words are not being used to tell people about the love of Christ and the death of Christ that prayed for their sins. Lord, I pray for Christians who might need this message in order to motivate them to be better witnesses. Whatever your work is in hearts in here today. God, I pray that you'd do it. I pray people would not resist the working of the Holy Spirit. Right now, there may be some in here, God, that you are drawing to yourself and you're, you're showing them they're not saved and they need to be saved. And Satan is whispering to them to stay right where they're at. God, would you help them to come and make the most important decision their life will ever have? I pray this in your name. Amen.